In a world full of boring stories, bad videos, and marketing misinformation, one very tall man with a weird last name will use his microphone. This thing on. Use his video marketing knowledge. It's the red button, right? And use his friends. Please be on the show. To change that. You are listening to The Garlic Marketing Show with Ian. What? No, that's how you pronounce it. Well, if you say so, your host, Ian Garlic. Welcome to the Garlic Marketing Show, Ian Garlic, and we have a wonderful repeat guest who last time we didn't get enough of her, so this time we're going to dig deeper. Dr. Sharon Livingston, thanks for joining us again. Ian, it is a delight to talk with you always. Awesome, awesome. So last time we talked about, you know, finding, you know, find your brand, find your messaging, how you used interviews to create these incredible brand stories, these the incredible messaging, very accurate messaging um, for major companies. It was an incredible podcast, so we're not going to duplicate that, but I want to get into today, later on, those questions, how you interviewed people, because you've interviewed what, how many people? Oh, God, it's almost 63,000 now. It's ridiculous. <laughs> 63,000 people. That's amazing. I can't imagine that. 63,000 people. Um, so obviously you have the interview skills down. I want to talk about that later. But let's talk. we're going to talk first about future-proofing your career because let's talk a little bit about your story because you've been through some big changes. And, I mean, you've had a big career and been through some changes. So let's talk a little about what that means to future-proof your career. So – Okay. Uh, about two and a half years ago, I went through a divorce. I didn't expect it. I really didn't think it was going to happen. I thought, you know, we were married, married forever and ever. Hallelujah. That kind of thing. And, um, you know, sometimes crazy things happen and that's a long story in, in itself, which <laughs> that's a different podcast. Uh, yeah. It's a whole different podcast. And that one's going to be a major, uh, movie in, uh, you know, 2020 or something. So <laughs> it is, it's quite a story. But what happened? Um, I had a very successful career as a marketing researcher and was uh, learning how to train coaches. I have a PhD in psychology. And uh, after running so many focus groups and one-on-one interviews, I really learned how to work with people. Between my my training in psychology, between doing all the, the work I did in marketing research, um, and so we put together a program for, for coaches and training coaches and, um, and then the world came to an end, like uh, we sold my house and, uh, lost a lot of money on it, got rid of my dogs. I was doing everything that I, I could to save my marriage and nothing worked. Uh, and I gave it all up. I just gave it all up. And there I found myself in the situation, uh, where it was like being, it was like being adrift. It was like the wind, like being a balloon in the air and just being moved from place to place and not having my own foundation, even though, I mean, I mean, you know, you know my history. I have uh, a lot of credentials and a lot of training, but I was totally adrift. And what happens to a lot of people when they get to a certain age, you know, very often it happens around 40, 45, sometimes 50, uh, 
is that they all of a sudden find themselves adrift. They're adrift in their lives. They're adrift in their career. Do you know that one of the single most often Googled topics is career? Mm. It's like one of the highest. As a matter of fact, uh, we created Future Proof Your Career knowing that and also knowing what I went through myself to reinvent myself. So when you go through upheaval and, you know, like here you're, you're at one place, you know, you're kind of on a plateau and then all of a sudden there's this like giant hole in the ground and you're thrown into this chaos and it feels like crap. I mean, you know, that, that balloon drift or you're in this abyss and you don't know what's happening and there's all this rubble floating around you and there is another side, but you don't know how you're going to get there. But the wonderful thing about the abyss is that it's filled with possibilities. So things here were kind of steady and, you know, solid and things on the other side will be again. But in the midst of that, there are possibilities. And so going through this chaotic period made me think to myself, well, you know, well, what do I really want to do? And that's what happens to people like 45, 50, even up to 60, where for whatever reason, they've been thrown adrift. Maybe they lost their job. Maybe something happened where they were going to be promoted and they started asking themselves, wait a second, is this what I really want to do? I've been an accountant for 25 years. And you know what? I don't even like numbers. I'm really a people person. What the heck am I doing in accounting? Well, it pays the bills. I do really well. And I, I get some of the people stuff when I can counsel people, you know, about their investments and things like that. But I've always wanted to help people to grow, particularly in the arts. I'm now making this up. I'm pulling this out of my market, right? <laughs> but that kind of stuff happens all the time. People who get sucked into doing something, something changes. And all of a sudden they realize there's a window of opportunity. While they're in this chaotic place, they can explore possibilities. And so that's why we created Future Proof, Future Proof Your Career, was to help people take a look at the chaos and to do it in a safe way so they can look at the possibilities. The other thing about that, I, and I'm sure you know this, and it's not going to surprise you at all. If you go look for a job right now, what do you do? You go to LinkedIn, you go to, uh, uh, you know, Indeed, you go to, uh, one, there's a whole bunch of different places you can go to look for a job. Well, how do you do that? You can't just, there's no, you don't go and sit with someone. When I was 20 years old and I was just getting out of college, you went into New York and you sat with someone, you know, I, I put on, you know, my little suit so that I look professional and um, you sit with somebody and they, they talk to you about your resume. They talk to you about the opportunities. They tell you about what different jobs they are. They tell you what to do to talk to them. That does no longer exist. It's not there. You have to have keywords in your resume that a bot picks up. It's not even a human being. It's a bot. And if you don't have those keywords in the right place, you're out of luck. You're out of luck. And for every job interview, there are 250 resumes that they take a look at before they even bring you in. So it's not the same as it was many years ago. Now you have to be an expert in digital marketing in order to even get a chance to talk to someone on the phone. And people don't practice. Like, 
Ian, what's the last time you went on a job interview, truthfully? <laughs> uh, 15 years ago. <laughs> well, what if, God forbid, God forbid, what if the, the Iron Garlic show left? Like there was no way of doing that. What would you do? What are you going to do for I'd, work? I'd, are, I'd be unemployable. <laughs> well, but the point is that and I, I, I understand totally. Uh, I, you know, I, I've been working for myself my in, since I got out of school, so I totally get that. Yeah, <laughs> but um, people do not practice; they don't stay in the game. I just said uh, I just did a helped a woman with her resume who had the same resume from twenty five years ago. I mean. But she's been in the same job for 25 years. It never occurred to her she would ever have to move at all. Yeah. So, so what Future Proof is, is helping people to have a modern resume, one that the bots will pick up on, one that will have keywords in it that will you know, help you get there. We do practice interviews with people because they don't. You haven't. Nobody's been out there interviewing because you didn't think you had to. and They don't know how to do it anymore. So we do, I'll, I'll give you a crazy example. This woman came to me and she said uh, she was, was in customer service. She was looking for a new position in customer service. She just turned 50 and it's like, oh, my God, oh, my God, I turned 50. Oh, you know, that's a death knell right there. And um, I got her two interviews. I got her two interviews. I'm not a recruiter, but I happen to know people and I got her two interviews. They wanted to talk to her first on the phone. So I said, well, let's practice it before you go into it. She said, no, 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 I've got this. I'm all right. She calls me back 10 minutes after the interview. I said, how'd it go? She said, I don't think it went so well. They didn't call me in to actually meet them in person. I said, well, what happened? Um, Well, the woman asked me what kind of people I'm good with. And I told her that guys find me unapproachable. (laughs) Wow. I wonder why she didn't get a call back. <laughs> like, really? really? Why on earth would what, she say that? I mean, what not to say at an interview? <laughs> and I, 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 I didn't know what to say. You know, I said, you know, in the future, um, let's practice and see what kind of, you know, curveballs they might send at you so we're prepared. But I mean, to that extent, like sometimes something will pop out of your mouth. If you haven't practiced, so you need to know what your ecosystem is. You know, who are the people who can help you? Do you know that? <laughs> this is real, I'm, I'm, I'm just like a, a recording here, Ian. I'm sorry. But do you know that you are 10 times more likely to get a job if you're referred by someone who knows that person than if you have the best resume in the world and the best recruiting uh, reference? But makes, if you know someone, I mean, it makes sense, right? Makes sense, yeah. So you need to have a good ecosystem. You need to have people that you surround yourself with who can possibly, you know, help make the right connections for you to meet the right person. Um, You know, you need to have a a plan. You need to have a career path. You need to have something that you're doing on a regular basis to to get where you're going to. You need to know what your brand is, right? Yeah, 100%. You, I mean, you know, yeah, there's a lot you need to know. And I mean, I think that's important too on the flip side of it of like when you're hiring too is, is understanding, you know, what your brand is, who you want representing, who you want to get in. I mean, I know that's an important part of us as we hire for culture. So, yes. and understanding like we want to know if that person will fit in here as a person, 
not just the skills. Right. I mean, that's one of the things that we think is very important. I, I, you know, I, you probably know this from hanging out with me for a while, but I'm a Myers-Briggs expert. Uh, but I've recently moved over to a, another uh, program called the Berkman Assessment. And the reason for that is it shows what your strengths are, what your needs are, what your you know, preferences are. And if you don't know your needs, and most of us don't, we think we do, but we actually don't. If you don't know what your needs are, uh, then if they are compromised, you, so are your strengths. So you can't perform well. So if you're in a culture that's not meeting your needs, you're not, your strengths are going to be compromised. You're not going to perform well. So, so one of the things we do is we do a needs assessment and a, um, you know, a personality assessment from a career perspective to show you the best careers that you might want to consider. And then when you're going on these job interviews, what to look for to see if they're going to be able to, to meet your needs. You know, so, for example, if you are someone who needs to work alone and you're in a big bullpen with a million people around you, that might not work. Just for like a little example like that. So Interesting. So, you know, it, it, we've had a lot of entrepreneurs on the show, a lot of people that are owners of companies. So, you know, and I've, I've seen the same thing happen too, where, you know, a company, they get bored or they get, you know, over or they feel like they've hit their limit with what they're doing inside their business. How does that relate to someone like that? How, what you're talking about? So as a business owner yourself, if you're getting bored, yeah, I think it's incredibly relevant. I mean, you know, part of what happened to me, I have, a, uh, I have an excellent uh, reputation in marketing research. I've interviewed all these people. But there's always a part of me that just really wanted to give back. And so uh, the marketing research world changed and started back with 9-11, when all of a sudden nobody was going out to do focus groups and facilities because they didn't want to get on a plane. I remember the first time I got back on an airplane after 9-11, Glenn had to go with me because I was terrified of getting on a plane. That's going to be hijacked. I mean, I knew it was crazy. Look, you know, I'm trained in psychology and I, I, I know my own craziness. But he got on a plane to go to Chicago with me so I could go and do those focus groups. Um, but there's something back then it changed the way people were thinking about all the traveling they were doing. It shook everybody up. And then around 2007, 2008, 2009, um, it started out with the pharmaceutical companies who were, you know, at that point, they were like 90% profitable. And poor things, since they weren't allowed to give doctors gifts anymore, their profitability went down to about 60%, something like craft, you know, consumer goods, they were very happy to be profitable at 25% or 29%, but pharmaceutical companies were doing so well. What they did, and they are kind of trendsetters in marketing research, what they did is they started doing other ways of talking to people, a lot of online stuff. And they were losing some of the, the texture of the kind of work that's done qualitatively that I do. And so the market changed. And as the market changed, it made me realize that it was an opportunity to deal with my desire to be working with people in a different way. So back in 2013, uh, I started training people how to become coaches. And, you know, I'd, I'd already I had a, a program. I'm not sure if you know this or not. Uh, I'd been training people how to do marketing research, qualitative research, although I know how to do quant, but I prefer qual because it's in person and you know, 
uh, more about getting at the stories. Uh, so we had a program, I had a program called Sharpen the Focus, where I taught them how to do focus groups in in-depth interviews. Um, and so I already had that experience and I just kind of translated it over into coaching. And that's where, uh, you know, future proof your career is a product of all that coaching, but now it's, uh, it's in keeping with career coaching. Gotcha. Awesome. So, you know, this thinking about the Berkman and Myers Briggs and I've never really talked about this, but have you a and if it's if you have no opinion on it that's fine i just came to mind um but have you ever because we so often design our marketing and our business around our audience which i suggest and you suggest too absolutely but as a business owner especially a small business owner that not always is the best thing right because maybe you're designed for selling this people that you just don't like or selling something you don't like or designed a business that you just it doesn't fit with you. Have you ever used this Berkman method or the Myers-Briggs to help design a business for someone like from the inside out? Absolutely. Uh, and you know, I really, you know what I will send you to, you haven't taken the Myers-Briggs. You don't know what yours is. I haven't taken it in a long time. I used to know it and I just know it's four letters. <laughs> right. So I'm, gu- I'm guessing because of how I got to know you that you're probably an INTJ. Um, and the reason for that is, first of all, I'm an ENFP and I'm an INTJ magnet. I am surrounded by INTJs. You are very rare. I'm not as rare, but you are very rare. And there's a, a connection between INTJs and ENFPs that is, is just ridiculous. It's like we spot each other in two seconds and we become friends or you know, best friends or, you know, soulmates or whatever, but I'm surrounded by NTJs. So, so you probably are one. Awesome. Um, But what that means is you're kind of a mastermind. Um, You go internally to come up with ideas. You love to solve problems. You need to have things somewhat in order. You make decisions logically. uh, Um, and you, you like to make a difference in the world, but it's more of, um, it's not the, you know, I'm all about compassion and heartfelt and inspiring people like from the heart, right? Mm-hmm. And it, it's more logical and wanting to, your way of doing it is having a broader picture and putting it together in a framework that makes sense that people can integrate and use in the way they need to do it. And you keep the emotions out of it for that part because you want to make sure it works. That I sounds familiar. in it from my perspective because i want to make it work but we we both want to make it work but we have a different idea of what makes it work awesome so so with regard to an entrepreneur or you know someone creating a business if you don't know how you work if you don't know uh, what's going to make your life easier to create the world and the the business you want it's harder so mm-hmm. to start there and to know that about yourself, there's a ton of information. Uh, when we get off the uh, the show, I'm going to send you a description of an INTJ. I'll, su- I'll send you the test and I'll send you um, whatever it is, but I'm pretty sure you are. Um, cool. And you'll see. It, it really fits. But there are uh, suggestions for career based on what that is. And the same thing with the Berkman. If you... Like if you have a need for alone time, you, you've got to find it. Otherwise, you're going to feel compromised. If you have a need for being in a think tank where you're, you 
know, coming up with new ideas with other people and you spark each other and that makes it even bigger and more exciting. You're not going to do that if you're alone uh, in an office by yourself all day long. That's going to become frustrating. So so there, there are different things you need to know about your, your strengths, your needs, uh, and your interests that are relevant for your career and for the kind of business that you create. It makes perfect sense to me. It makes perfect sense. But it's amazing how we, especially entrepreneurs, you know, we get, dive in and really the successful ones are great salespeople to start out, right? So they're really good salespeople. So they're just selling, 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 selling. And then, like you said, just like with your career, you get to a point, and I've seen this over and over again. It's like, oh, I've created this thing that I kind of don't like. But it's, you know, I mean, I'm thinking of a few of my friends right off the bat. I literally was just talking to one um, where it's like, uh, you know, but I've got this thing. And I've got to keep moving it and, you know, thinking about how you can use. What's your, what's your friend uncomfortable with? What's the part that your friend doesn't like? Uh, I mean, I'm just, I have like five or six friends. I'm kind of molding them all together, uh-huh. but uh, you know, it's, they don't like who they serve. Um, you know, the yesterday I was talking to someone is in the service industry and is over serving clients that don't appreciate, um, you know, and, Another one in the service industry that, uh, you know, is just over, like, trying to explain things over a thousand times. Um, You know, it's working harder and harder for other people. Uh, There's so many things that, you know, designing that. And I think we were talking about it, and I was talking about in one of the masterminds about it. And you're never going to escape those problems, right? You're not going to. It's just how how you figure out how you your work is super important. I think what you're talking about here is absolutely crucial to your business and your marketing. Because I also know that when you're not, not in line with what your business does, your marketing suffers because you're not, you don't push full authentic. forward. Yeah. Right. If you you could, have to be authentic. Um, if you don't believe in what you're doing, I could sell anything. You know, I was, I was brought up, <laughs> I might've told you this. I was brought up by a mother who, uh, was a salesperson. She was just a natural salesperson. My parents had a deli and we used to have a joke that my mother could sell you back your own shoes. I mean, she would just get you so excited about whatever, uh, she felt good about. Now she couldn't sell you something she didn't believe in. And I really do. I, I know I can sell stuff. I'm real. I'm a very good salesperson, but it has to be something that I really think is terrific. Like, Oh my God, I'm so excited to, uh, to tell you about my new, you know, blue ball microphone uh, <laughs> because I, I saw the, the difference. I put it on. Somebody recommended it to me. I put it on and Ian could hear me be much better than he could before. And I didn't even realize how good it was and blah, blah, blah. So when I, when I get excited about something, I can sell it. If I'm not excited about it and I'm not authentic about it, maybe I could sell a little bit, but... But then people start feeling bad about themselves. Whatever you're doing in your work, if you don't feel authentic about it, if it's not something that lights you up in some way, eventually you're going to become Joe and the Volcano. Do you remember that movie? God, yeah. Joe versus the Volcano. (laughs) Yeah, Tom Hanks. And, you know, he's walking up and like there are all these automatons walking up to work and they're dead. They're depressed. They're not alive because who cares? Yeah. Like. And that's and and as the business owner, you have to. It comes across in your business. It comes across in your marketing. You have to be passionate about it. 
And, you know, if, and if you're not, you got to figure out a way or you got to leave because otherwise it's going to suck the life out of you and suck Absolutely. the life out of your marketing. I, you know, and I, I know, and I've seen people that look at too much at some of the details of the stuff that they're doing instead of the overall message, uh, because they don't trust what they're selling. Um, and you know, I, I think that's super important. So one of the things that's going through my mind mind right now is, do you know, um, and if I mentioned it last time, it's one of my favorite all-time stories, is the Band-Aid story. I am stuck on Band-Aids because Band-Aids stuck on me. I, you might have, but I don't remember it, so please refresh my memory. So when I first started out, one of my very first projects was on Band-Aids. I was lucky enough to... Uh, be brought in by Johnson and Johnson to find out what band-aids meant to people. And one of um, one of the reasons they were doing it at the time was that Curad had these ouchless band-aids, and you know they still do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so they wanted to know how much a threat the Curad ouchless band-aid was to band-aid because band-aid brand because um, they didn't know if they should come out with their own. Uh, ouchless one because you know you pull off a band-aid it hurts little kids will cry and complain and stuff so um i use some projective kinds of techniques and when i do my my research and what i did with them we, we did nine focus groups around the country and I, I had people go up to one door that said band-aid brand on it another door that said curad whenever they went through the band-aid brand it was almost identical almost identical stories they, they saw, you know, the door itself was stainless steel and uh, you walk through and you're in this pristine laboratory. You could even smell the Bunsen burner. You could hear the hiss. And, uh, you know, there was that kind of uh, the sound from computers in the background and it was all white and chrome, you know, and it was just pristine and perfect and pure and sanitary, right? The, and that was to a person. They all saw the same, you know, really surgical almost looking environment. And when they went through the curad door, there were many different things they went to. It wasn't consistent, except that in every single group, at some point, one or two people found themselves in a dirty warehouse. There were dust bunnies all over the place. Everything was kind of greasy and grimy and disgusting and uh, now, it wasn't every single person. They went to different places. Curad's brand was not as consistent as Band-Aid was, but that theme kept coming through. And I, after the third group, I said, you know what? This is now the third time, third group, that I'm hearing this thing about the, the, the dirty warehouse. You know, what might that be? And this woman says, well, you know, they're ouchless. That means they don't stick. They must be dirty. And that was it. Interesting. And Band-Aid gave up on coming out with the the Ouchless. And that was the beginning of that I'm stuck on Band-Aid because Band-Aid stuck on me campaign because moms feel protected themselves because they know their kids got this second skin on. They can go back outside and play. It's going to be like their own skin because it's going to stick. It's not going to get off. That's so cool. That's it? amazing. It's amazing. How, and it, obviously that was a super successful campaign. Yeah. Uh, you know, anyone that's ever heard that 
is never forgot it. Uh, <laughs> um, but, you know, this comes to the, the ultimate question of asking questions because you had to ask questions of these people. And I won't get into that because, uh, you know, with over 60,000 people interviewed, you obviously had to get good at asking questions, asking the right questions. How, what was your approach for asking questions in, this focus, in these focus groups and of the individuals? So, um, over a series of years, I had to come up with tools to do things quickly and deeply. And uh, one of the things that I did with the, the Band-Aids was I had them tell a story using these iconic cards that I've created. And they have uh, images on them. They're, they're based on archetypes that are consistent around the world. So, and, and the Band-Aid groups were done in nine different countries. They, you know, they were translated into nine languages, Russia and you know, French and, um, and German and Japanese and Chinese. So um, I would have them tell a story. So I'd say, okay, I want you to tell, use these cards to tell me a story. And there, there are 159 in the deck. Why 159? That's how many came. <laughs> but uh, there's no magic number to it. So I say, okay, find a card, Mom, that represents you under ordinary circumstances. Now I want you to find a card that represents you when your kid is running in with a, you know, and bleeding with a boo-boo, right? And then uh, find one that represents uh, the child, you know, with the, with the problem. Now find one that represents Band-Aid, find one that represents Curad, and find one that represents the ideal bandage. And so they, they find each of those cards and I'd have them now describe the card to me, describe the card, describe the card. How does that relate back? And then that turned into a whole story. So a story has a beginning, a middle, point of conflict and some kind of resolution and the impact that it has. You know, now that you've used the ideal and how close is bandage to the ideal, we can do that kind of uh, probing. Right. Who do you become? And so she becomes heroic. Here's this little kid. First of all. Mom is going about her day being whoever she is. And that was different people. You know, she, sometimes she's a nurturer as mom. Sometimes she's doing her, you know, her fun thing that she does. Sometimes whatever she could be, she can't, you know, it came up there. No sooner does that child come in with that blood and she sees blood. You see your, your child who you expect to be intact and now they're, they're broken She's out of her mind. She is hysterical inside, and she knows that she has to hold that so she doesn't scare her child, who was scared to death, right? Mm -hmm. And so she's 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 a victim. She's she's frantic. She's panicked, and and at the same time, she's being, um, you know, she's kind of like sucking it up to protect this child and and the problem itself is like a demon and it's a devil and it's a troublemaker and it's something that's you know come to to ruin her life and ruin her child's life and then you know band-aid is this protector uh hero and curad was a sort of flimsy thing i can't remember the imagery attached to it uh the ideal is a super protector is a champion and then she becomes uh, kind of like a goddess who's heroic at once and at the same time incredibly, uh, you know, loving and angelic. And she's the angel mother because she solved the problem and the kid gets to be, you know, the little road warrior again outside in his playtime. So, so, so there was a consistent story that led to that award-winning advertising, actually. So 
So, so I use those images to help them to tell a story. And what's really good about it is they can do that quickly. So even though it's a big deck of cards, they go, I say, find this one, find this one, find this one, find the card that represents Ian Garlic, find the card that represents Sharon Livingston, find the card that represents a garlic show. It's just a different card, right? Yeah. Interesting. And, and then you invite them to, to tell stories about each of the cards and see how that fits. And the thing about this kind of, of interviewing, by the way, Ian, is that if you ask people directly, they will give you an answer to anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but very often it's the answer they think they should be saying rather than the real answer. Yes. So if you take them one step away and those, those uh, picture cards, give them an opportunity to take a, one step away and to free associate. And when they do that, they're more likely to tell you the truth. And the truth comes out by using indirect methods. So when I invited them to go through, you know, I had them close their eyes and get really comfortable. And I take them to this, you know, nice cozy room where there are two doors that appear. And one of them says Band-Aid and one of them says Curad. It's a step away where you're enlisting subconscious process, which is more honest and authentic. And that's when you get the stories. And, and that's what um, really reveals what's happening. And I'll tell you one other story with that regard. Um, I was doing research with for Abilify. This was going back, I don't know, probably was around 2012 or 13, something like back then. And uh, Abilify had originally been an antipsychotic, and then it was indicated for um, depression. And so we were interviewing psychiatrists. And uh, we had done two markets and we were now down to like 28 out of 30 interviews. And I had my puppy with me, my puppy Stewie, my, uh, my Shih Tzu. And my, my um, client, Scott, loves Stewie. He said, leave Stewie in the back room and I'm have, I'll, I'll take him for walks. You know, I need to go out for a smoke <laughs> anyhow. I'll take him for walks. So now we're, we're at, at the last couple of interviews and Scott says, want to bring Stewie into the front room and see what happens? I said, you're kidding. He said, look, we already know. We got all the information. This is just now confirming it and validating it. We already know the re- reactions. I said, sure. I'll, you know, I'll ask the doctor if it's okay with him. He said, okay, I'll bring him in. We'll see what happens. Stewie was just a few months old. He was this tiny puppy. Um, so this very nice psychiatrist comes in, and I said, you know, my dog's been in the back, um, and he's probably missing me. What would you think about me bringing him in? He said, oh, I love that. So I said, great. So I bring Stewie in. We're testing all of these detail pieces, which, you know, uh, for drugs, they're usually like lots of pages long. The doctor has to go through them. I had like six different variations of them. I had to show them to each doctor. So I had all these stacks and I'd be done with them. I throw them on the floor just to get them out of the way. And uh, Stewie thought that was a great idea. So as soon as he went in, he saw the pile of papers on the floor and he starts, you know, (laughs) And I went, oh, God, this is I can see this is not working. So I picked him up and I put him on my lap. And uh, as close as you and I seem right now, even though it's, you know, remotely. But that's about how far the doctor was for me, how far the computer is from me right now where I'm sitting. Right. And so Stewie is on my leg and Shih Tzu's snore. Do you know that about them? I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> they make really loud noises. They snort and they snore. And this dog is snoring away on my lap. Meanwhile, I'm not missing a beat. I keep on uh, 
I keep on going with the interview and the doctor's answering me and everything is going fine. And, and at the end, and it's an hour long interview. So I had that puppy on my lap for an hour. Um, so I said, doc, can I ask you a question about something a little different? And he says, sure. I said, what was it like having my puppy in the room with us? He said, I have to tell you something. Usually when I come into these things, I find myself telling the interviewer what I think they want to hear. I know I shouldn't, but I feel like I have to. But when I saw how you were with your dog, I realized that you really wanted the truth from me. And you you made me feel relaxed. And I was able to tell you what I really thought and felt. Anyway. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote a paper about it. I ended up writing a paper about it. Um, but I think it really does help people feel like you're a caring person. You're really interested in them. You know, uh, you know, vicariously being cared for. Uh, so I'm holding the puppy in my lap. It's almost as if I was holding the respondent in my lap. And that let him snore and be silly and do whatever he needed to do as the respondent. And so there's there's an indirect technique by virtue of having the dog in the room. You're telling people that you're a loving parent to them and they're more likely to tell you what's on their mind. So sometimes something very subtle will do it. Interesting. So if I if you know, if I'm talking to clients, prospective clients or doing some sort of market research, any of those, how would I take and apply that technique? Well, one. If you wanted to bring in, if you had a dog, you wanted to bring in your dog. But the other thing is to let them know that you're playful. Let them know that this is very important to you, but we're going to have fun while we're doing it. I, I really want you to be here present with me. Um, yesterday I was doing um, focus groups on a new alternative milk product. And so I had... Uh, six people in the first group and I walked in and I said, I have to tell you, I love my work. This is the most fun to me. I can't believe that I get paid for doing stuff that is so much fun. And right there, just by making that statement to them, I'm relaxing them and they're, they're expecting to have a good experience. They're, they're not going to be uh, queried in a way where they have to come up with the right answer. That's, so that's awesome. You know, I never, you know, we always think about the questions and I tell people it's, it's how you ask the questions, but that framing is fantastic too. Right. That, that's, right. that's really a great technique to relax people because people, you know, especially if they know the interview is being used for something, they want to give the right answers. And right. that framing is super important. Very right. cool. And the, the right answer is your personal truth. And your personal truth in this topic uh, may be the same or different from the other people in the room or for the other people I've interviewed. And you're the only expert on your opinion. So I really want your expertness on your opinion here, whatever it is, even if you think it might be different than the rest of the world. But that's really that's really critical because otherwise, how can I possibly help this company give you a product that you want or a service that you want if you can't tell me what it is? So. If you really wanted to please me at all, and you really can't please me or displease me by liking or disliking any product, but if you wanted to please me, I would feel so good if I really was able to communicate to my clients what's important to you. Awesome. Very cool. Uh, Well, Sharon, this has been awesome. 
Um, yeah, I'm going to hop on and we're actually doing a dual podcast and we're going to talk about some of the stuff on your podcast. Uh, and, and, uh, we'll make sure to put a link to that in the show notes. If someone wants to learn more about future proof, your career, you can go to futureproofyourcareer.com. There's dashes in between the words. Uh, and we'll put a link to that in the show notes. And if someone wants to get a hold of you to use you for this market research, tlgonline.com is the best way to get a hold correct. of you. Correct. Yes. Um, once again, that'll be in the show notes as well. Obviously, Dr. Sharon here has had amazing experience. And tell us a little bit about your podcast, too. So... In my podcast, I have been talking to people who I respect and I revere that I want to share with the people who follow me and, and their combination of people, people out of the marketing research world and large corporations and um, and also people who want to do marketing research like I do. They, they follow me, but also people who are interested in furthering their careers and, you know, wanting to find their dream career. So I've got both of those types of people. Sometimes they're people who want to do coaching. Um, and um, so when I'm going to be talking to you, Ian, I'm going to really want to hear about what you bring to the world, what your excitement is about the talent that you've spoken to and um, and how you can inspire the people who are going to be listening in, in your particular way. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to be on there. It's going to be a fun interview. We're going to talk a little bit more about these things and my interview techniques as well. Um, and we'll have a lot of fun doing it. But for right now, this is the end of the Garlic Marketing Show. Dr. Sharon Livingston, thanks for being on the show again. Oh, my pleasure. It's always so much fun to talk to you. And, and it's been a great pleasure. It was so much fun. So interesting. Such cool stories. Um, and thank you all for taking in, uh, Dr. Sharon and I on your journey. This has been Ian Garlic and the Garlic Marketing Show. If you haven't signed up already, make sure to sign up for the free training. It's free for limited time. The Level Up Video Marketing Training. Really take your business to the next level. Just go to authenticweb.media slash level up or click on the show notes and there will be a link right there. I look forward to seeing you in the training and look forward to seeing you level up your business. That's it for the Garlic Marketing Show. If you want to get the inside scoop and the latest techniques, make sure to follow Ian Garlic on Facebook. Facebook. 